Well, for the sake of time, we're going to get started, so let's all bow our heads for the prayer. Our Father and our God, we want to thank Thee so much that this whole week we could learn about grace and we could learn about how that we are saved through the grace of God and faith in Thee. We want to thank Thee so much that it's not of ourselves because we know how many times that we do mess up and we do sin and we do fall short of Thy glory. And we want to thank Thee so much that Thy Son did die 2,000 years ago and for those sins He did die for and we thank Thee. And Lord, now we pray that as we look into this topic that uh, we don't talk much about, but Lord, we look at what the believer is expected. And Lord, what, what judgments will come upon the believer and how the believer will be evaluated in Jesus Christ. We pray for open hearts and open ears. And we thank Thee and pray that Thou would be with the speaker and, and calm him. And that, Lord, that I would be just a tool in Thy hands. We pray this all in Thy Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. How many of you true to form enjoyed or, or enjoy like thoroughly and understand everything about the orchestra that played here this morning? That you know really understand all the instruments and understand and have an appreciation for that? Raise your hands if you, if you really have a deep appreciation for the instruments. As you can see, there's a, there's a, a small amount. How many though enjoyed the music and, and found it calming or relaxing and, and found it a blessing. As you can see, more hands went up. And I think if we can just think of the orchestra that was here before us and uh, the different instruments that were playing, the judgment seat of Christ can be likened, and if we, we think about it throughout this 45 minutes that we have, can be likened to an orchestra playing. It's been said that there were two uh, people that were watching and listening to an orchestra. And one person sat, was said to uh, the person next to him, you know, I really appreciate that trumpet playing in the background. I don't even know if a trumpet plays in an orchestra. But I really appreciate that trumpet playing in the background. It's really nice to hear that. And the person sitting next to him said, I don't even hear the trumpet. I just enjoy the music. The point of the matter is, that person that understood the instruments was able to enjoy that orchestra more, had the greater capacity to enjoy that orchestra than the one who didn't know about the different instruments. And this is the, a good and easy way we can liken heaven. Those that have been diligent here on this earth and faithful to Jesus Christ will have a greater capacity for the enjoyment of heaven. All will enjoy heaven, but like that person who could pick out a distinct instrument, he'll be able to enjoy heaven a lot more. And I started off in our introduction on what... You know, we've been talking a lot about grace and, and works. It's not of works. And a lot of people probably are, okay, where's the balance? Where do the works come in? And what's the, what is the purpose for works? And hopefully in this forum we can talk about, you know, we're not doing, we're not working for the Lord for nothing. We're not in His service. We're not ambassadors for nothing. The Bema Seat. What on earth is the Bema Seat? What on earth is the Judgment Seat? 
I'm going to read about the judgment seat of Christ. Romans 14.10 But why dost thou judge thy brother, or why dost thou set at not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For as it is written, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess. So every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And for those of you who are wondering, I, will have, uh, I do have uh, packets of this with extra notes um, and extra references, so you don't have to be busy taking notes. You can just sit back and relax. But the Bema seat basically was uh, some sort of stand like we have here. And we can liken it to, uh, in the times of the Greeks and the Romans, they would have Olympic-type games. And there would be races that were run. And as you go around this huge, this huge uh, track, there are places that the judges could not see, but the judges were strategically located throughout the Olympic Stadium. And they would see how did, how did the runners run? Was there any shoving going on? Did anybody go out of bounds? See, I'm, if I'm standing over here and the runners are running by here, I can tell they're not, that they're not running out of bounds. But way over there, I won't have a clue. So what happened after the race, there was a winner. But they all gathered at the Bema seat. And that's where the judges said, hey, how did Jim run? I'm sure their name wasn't Jim. But you know, how did Cleopatra run or, or whatever? And then they would come back, well, there was a shove over there that she, you know, she pushed somebody over there. And uh, that person stepped out of bounds over there. And people, certain people were disqualified based on the judgment seat, the Bema seat. And Paul is likening, when we stand before God, it's going to be God saying, okay, Erwin, let's take a look at your run. Looks like you did win, but let's see how you actually ran. Let's look at those times that nobody could see you around the bend. Did you step out of bounds? So that's where that comes from, where the Bema seat comes from. At the Bema seat, losses are going to be realized. This is a hard concept for us Christians to understand. There will be losses. And we're going to talk about what types of losses the believer will endure at the judgment seat. And there also will be rewards. Rewards will also be handed out. Everything on life will be examined. If I have, a, if I have some issue with a brother or sister here and I don't resolve it at the Bema seat, it's going to be resolved. Which is all the more reason before God... You don't want that thing aired out dirty laundry in front of everyone, but before the Bema seat, every issue that is unresolved will have to be resolved. We're not going to go into heaven with a huge burden on our shoulders. No, no, no. This is God's area. On this earth, we have the right to bear those burdens. But when we enter into heaven, everything's going to be stripped from us. Which is all the more reason to use Matthew 18 and other verses to get things straight here on this earth. Then we got to talk about rewards and gifts. What is the difference? Gift is something that we heard about all this week. Something that we don't earn. If somebody gives me a gift, I didn't earn it. It would be foolish of me to go around and say, look at this gift I just got. I am so awesome. I mean, that would be like, that would be clueless of me to do that. I just got a gift and I'm saying, you know, Sam just gave me a gift. Am I not rad? No. The person who gave me the gift is rad. The person who gave me the gift is the one we give the glory to. So throughout Scripture, we read about gifts and we read about rewards. There is a difference. And we can also look at the word reward. In the Greek is this word. No reason to pronounce it. It means to pay back. To give back. And one, one uh, 
verse that really comes to mind on this is Revelation 22, verses 12. Verse 12. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. The reward, the word reward there is this word myth miso. There I go pronouncing it. Wage, paycheck, earned compensation. Never, ever do we ever think that salvation is something we earn. Even if some of the songs we sing, we have the word reward interchanged with gift, it's because probably it pronounced it was uh, it rhymed better or something. But this word is a, almost an accounting type term in the Greek where it says something is need, needs to be given back. Something is due. When we enter into the kingdom of heaven, God is not going to owe us anything. He is not going to have to pay me. He's not going to have to, when we enter into heaven, owe me something. At the Bema seat, all of that will be taken care of. This other one, this other word is often used through Scripture. And in your notes and handouts, you'll be able to look at all these different instances where rewards, gifts, compensation, recompense are used to illustrate the difference between a gift and a reward. Heaven is a gift. Getting there. I've heard people say, well, I'll just be satisfied with heaven. That's not what God wants. That's not what the Christian is here to do. Heaven is a gift. Eternal life is a gift. It is not something we earn. So we're starting to see now, and we all this week we heard about what the, what the gift of God is. Grace. And the bottom line is, it will not be the same for everyone. Remember, I'm not going to know. I'm not going to know necessarily that Brother Sam is has enjoys the peace that we. I, I have no clue that somebody who knows music enjoyed the orchestra playing better than I did. I wasn't competitive in my mind saying. Man, why does he enjoy that better? It just burns me up. I want to be able to enjoy it just as much. Well, that person put effort and time into learning that music and learning instruments that he's going to be able to enjoy it better. I took my wife through uh, General Motors uh, metal assembly plant. She was bored. Now, if I take my brothers there, they, they want to go into every nook and cranny and they want to get me uh, discharged because I'm not allowed to go into these uh, places where you can... We can get hurt. But my wife could be, it was utterly, after first seeing one of the presses, okay, it's big. I don't care if you have 20 big presses. I saw one big press, that's enough. But see, the appreciation comes in if you're an engineer and if you, if you understand metal and if you understand uh, how many, oh my goodness, you know, 2,000 people work here. You have more of an appreciation. She was interested for a while and she wanted to go home. Think of heaven in that manner. Obviously, it's very simplistic, but we're... Simplistic people. At least I am. So what are the judgments of God? We're going to go briefly over them. In Matthew 25, 31-32, it talks about the judgment of nations. This is where the sheep are divided from the left to the right. We heard about that. And that's going to occur at the end of the tribulation. The Gentiles will be judged after the tribulation after the tribulation period. We're not going to talk about that judgment now. The judgment of the Jews in Ezekiel 20, 33-38, you can look at these verses afterwards. That's where the Jews of old will be judged. The Jews who, who lived before Jesus Christ will be judged. And then we're going to talk, we're going to spend a lot of time on the Bema Seat judgment of Christ where this is the universal judgment of believers. This is where every believer is going to be judged. They're going to stand before Christ and be evaluated for how they ran that race. 
around the bend where nobody saw. How did they run that race? And then we're going to briefly uh, touch on the great white throne judgment. little word of warning, if you're at the great white throne of judgment, it's pretty much you're in deep, deep uh, problems. If you make it to the great white throne judgment, you're in trouble. That means you're not going to get to the Bema seat judgment. So the great white throne judgment, only the unbelievers are going to be there. And we're going to talk about that and why that is. There's a few facts about the Bema that we need to understand. One is that it's individual. The church, the apostolic Christian church, will not stand before God. Let me repeat that. The apostolic Christian church will not stand as an entire entity before God. The Bema seat is individual. Each race, each person who is running will be evaluated for how they did run. They will, we will not be evaluated together. And the verses are Romans 14, 10-12. So then, every one of us, every singular person of us, shall give an account of himself, singular, to God. I won't answer for my wife. She won't answer for me. I'll answer for how I treated her and how kind I was to her. And she'll have to answer back. But um, she, we won't, I won't answer for certain things that she did. Now how I affected her, yeah, I can see there, there will be some judgment on that. But whether, whether uh, somebody I talked to ever converted, that's not, my, that's not my doing. Whether I told them about Christ, that's where I'll be judged. It's predictable. Therefore, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. You're not going to be shocked at the judgment seat of Christ. Why? Because everything that we talk about today and everything that is going to be the evaluation criteria is right here. No shock. God's not going to pull out Maccabees and, and have us evaluated according to this apocryphal book. No. He is going to go according to the Scripture what is written down. Nobody's going to be shocked. It's going to, whatever you, whatever's coming to us is going to come out. No shock there. The third thing, what it is, it's permanent. First Corinthians 5.25 Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they that do it do obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. Incorruptible means something that's not perishable. When, they, when we talk about crowns, these aren't the crowns that are uh, on your head. In the Roman times, when you won a race, we, saw, we see some of those statues. If you see a bronze statue and it's all... You see a crown is actually a wreath sitting around one's neck. At our house in, um, or at our condo in Mansfield, there is a wreath there that's been staying on our wall way too long. <laughs> Just kidding, honey, but you have good taste. Um, but the, the wreath has been there for probably about two, three years and the sunlight comes down and beats on it and it's decayed. It's not green like it used to be anymore. See, that crown, that wreath, is corruptible. But when we get to heaven, the crowns that we receive, which are the rewards, they will never perish. They will never go away. They are incorruptible. They will last forever. So the, the, the results of the Bema seat are permanent. There's no changing it when we get to heaven. We're not going to be appealing to God into His uh, cloakroom and saying, you know, you must have missed this one time when I really helped out this poor person. It's all going to be out there. Every, everything will be evaluated. So there's no... Once we get there, things are set in stone as to what we're going to be doing in heaven. Individual, predictable, permanent. 
Therefore, that little mountain there. In your packet that you're going to get, this is in Romans 14, 6 through 23. Not going to go for the sake of time. Everybody was a little bit late, but how to pass the Bema seat with flying colors. This is from Romans 14, 6 through 23. We got to live for Christ. Live for Him. Make Him our purpose. The other one is do not cause another believer to stumble. This is where the often never used idea of not eating sausage because somebody is hurt or offended needs to come into play. What do I mean by that? Remember when the Apostle Paul said, so long as the earth standeth, I will not eat meat if it causes my brother to offend. We can equate that to sausage. Sausage from a, of a pig. That was something that was an issue that Paul basically said, you know what, it's not wrong for me to eat a pig, but as long as the earth standeth, if I don't want my brother to stumble, I'm not going to eat sausage. So there are hamburgers, there are cars, there are things that we as believers, if we really love somebody, we're not going to eat that sausage. And that's how we live. How do we pass the Bema seat? How do we pass this Bema seat with flying colors? That's one of them. Focus on the foundations of faith, 17 through 19. I'll read some of them. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but let's focus on righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Live by faith. The last verse, we all know this one. And he that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith. For whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So everything that we do needs to be dealt with in faith. This is how we pass the Bema seat with colors that are flying. A mistake that we often make is we like to, this is where we start making a mistake. We say, okay, I'm going to compare myself with the Apostle Paul. You start doing that, we start realizing how far we fail. You know, the Apostle Paul was a, had apostolic authority. We don't have that. He was a preacher. Many of us don't have that. Teacher, evangelist, counselor, author. He authored many of the books in the New Testament. He suffered for the faith, was poor relatively to us. Missionary journeys. Many of us aren't going to be doing many of these things. And we start thinking, wow, if I compare myself to the Apostle Paul, boy, the Bema seat, I'm going to really uh, get hacked down to size. And then you look at the apostolic Christian, you know, works inside the home half the time, half outside. Many of us aren't authors, scriptural authors or spiritual authors. Maybe none of my neighbors have ever converted. I'm an ambassador for Christ. We start going through this and we start seeing these two lists and we think, wow. I really can't stack up to the Apostle Paul. Yeah, you probably won't. So who are we stacking up against? It's me versus me and Paul versus Paul. The easiest way I can think of this is, imagine the Apostle Paul had 200,000, this is just an arbitrary number, not researched very well, opportunities and gifts to serve Christ. 200,000. Of those 200,000, 150,000 were fulfilled, were achieved as far as what Christ wanted. So he had a, and this is, this is very basic, this is to give us an idea of we're not comparing ourselves with ourselves. Paul was, quote, 75%, reached 75% of his potential. Now this apostolic Christian had 50,000 God-directed opportunities and gifts and abilities to serve in his 60 years of becoming a Christian. And he fulfilled 40,000. Therefore, he reached... 80% of his potential. See, we're not going to be compared against the Apostle Paul. Or we're not going to be compared against any of the great evangelists of our time. We're going to be compared against Irwin. 
This is, these are the talents I gave you. What on earth did you do with them? See, it is on earth. What on earth did you do with these talents? Did you sit around and do absolutely nothing? You never got off your, off your keister and actually got out and did something? Or did you actually move around and actually help out people and fulfill the 50,000 50, opportunities I gave you? See, we're not compared against each other. I can't compare to tons of people and tons of people can't compare to me. We're compared against what God wants us to do. Here's a little graphic for those who enjoy graphics. This is a Christian potential. Scrunched up. Here we see that 100% of our potential, and this person, this is the one that reached 80%. 80% he reached, which was realized gain, lost potential, wasted talents, 20%. That's what we're going to be measured up against. We're not going to be measured up against what somebody else did. And the verse that we can compare that to is 1 Corinthians 10.12, For we dare not make ourselves of the number as comparing ourselves with some that commend themselves, but they measuring themselves by themselves are not wise. We, we can understand that. If, we, if I compare myself to a horrible Christian, maybe one that, that barely you know, acknowledges God and, and just very weak Christian, how, how difficult will it be to actually get above Him? God's not grading on this curve. You know, we, when we were in college, I loved the curve. Because you could, I've, I've gotten 70s and 60s on a test and got the highest in the class. So you got this distribution from 40 30% to 80%, and you get an A because you, you did 70%. God does not grade on a curve. He's grading on how did we reach our potential. Heaven, tears, and shame. Ah, now Erwin, you're going a little too far. Come on, we all know in heaven there will be no tears. How, how can you have this slide out there? Will there be shame in heaven? Yes, the Bible says so. 1 John 2.28 And now, little children, abide in Him. The Apostle John is writing this to believers. That's why when he says, um, if we sin, he that committeth sin, is not from God. He that continually committeth sin. He's talking to the Christian. And now, little children, abide in Him that when, ye, when He shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before Him and His coming. We can all relate to this. There are times that you and I have done something that's completely embarrassing. If somebody that we loved, our wife, our friends, Jesus Christ, were to see us doing this activity, thinking this activity, whatever we were doing, it would embarrass us. The same token, Christ, when He comes, some people will be ashamed. Does not mean that they have, don't have salvation? No. It means that they will be ashamed because the talents that they've used, some of them have been wasted and not realized. How about tears? The Bible says that we, God shall wipe away all present tears from their eyes. The Bible doesn't say how we're going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We may enter into that judgment seat horrified with the idea that, you know, there are like 15 people that I never told about Jesus Christ to. You know, there are like 20 people that God wanted me to give money to and help out, and I didn't do it. But the Bible says God shall wipe away all tears as we enter, as we enter into heaven. 
So the manner in which we enter into heaven is determined by what on earth we do here. Heaven is going to be a wonderful place. Heaven's going to be a joyous place. And we heard about that this whole week. But how we enter into heaven, how we enter into heaven is determined by what we do here. All enabled. And everything that we talk about here is enabled by the grace of God through the Holy Spirit. But we have to act. The last one is terror. Will there be terror? The Apostle Paul is writing to, first in, to the Corinthians, to the believers at Corinth. He's writing this letter. They were very uh, disobedient believers. Very, very bad believers occasionally. Uh, 1 Corinthians 5.11 Knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. This can apply to the unconverted. Yeah, it can apply. But when the Apostle Paul, we've got to look at who he's writing to. He's writing to the believer, to the Christian. What is this terror of the Lord? There will be terror of the Lord. God is a God who when He gives us something, expects us to do something with it. We can think of that ser- the servant that He was very strict with because the servant buried his talent. He was very strict with that servant. Some truths that we can think about. We shall all be fully happy in heaven. Those of us who are there. We're going to be ecstatic there. But we will not be equally happy. We will be fully happy to the capacity we have, but not necessarily equally happy. And that's not, we're, not, we're not trying to compete with who's more happy. Remember that. I mean, so this is not a shock to us. And our manner of entering heaven is determined here on this earth. What are some of the losses in heaven? Well, Matthew 6, 19-21. I don't have that verse here in front of me, but it says, uh, lay, not, lay, your tre- lay not your treasures here on this earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but lay it up where? In heaven. So if you don't lay up your treasures in heaven that you build up here on this earth, you won't have treasures in heaven. So there's a loss there. Loss of special clothing. Revelation 19, 18, 19.8 says, and to her the church was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the linen is the righteousness of the saints. This word, and you can look at in the hand that I give you, is, the, is a plural for works. Revelations talks about this is a plural saying you will be clothed with the righteous deeds that you do. Then some would say, well, wait a minute, there's a clothing in Isaiah. Yes, there is. There's even more clothing. In Isaiah 61.10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for He hath clothed me with garments of salvation and hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. So there is this robe of righteousness, Christ's blood, that's going to be covered, that's going to be our robe. And I use that, you know, will this actually be a robe? That's kind of irrelevant. The whole point is, this is God's method of doling out what the believer deserves. But there will be different types of clothing. There is some clothing that is received by grace. Then there, are, this is, there, there is this clothing that we talk about in Revelations 19.8 that's the righteous acts. The righteous stuff we do for God. Loss of capacity for enjoyment. Matthew uh, 25.21 I believe talks about that your joy might be full. That you might have full joy. Our capacity... To be joyful in heaven is determined by the, our faithfulness here on this earth. Loss of unsaved friends. 
Read it in Revelation how many people are going to be standing before the great white throne where there will be no chance of salvation. And how many of us could have helped those people? We're not going to be kicking ourselves throughout eternity, but at that judgment seat, we could probably be bruising ourselves pretty viciously. Loss of capacity to thank Jesus. Revelations 4, 9-10. through 10. We're going to be talking about these crowns, and then we've got to talk about, well, what are these crowns used for? Remember, these crowns are imperishable. They never, ever decay. They never lose their value, and you never sit there and lose them. But Revelations 4, 10 says, And the four and twenty elders fall down before them, and that sat on the throne, and worship Him that liveth forever and ever, and they cast their crowns before their throne. So, if we want to thank God, we, uh, Ryan Weingartner talked about this, this idea where somebody, his parents give him a gift, a car, you're not going to be able to pay him back, but you do little things to thank them. And when we're in heaven, we're reaching into our arsenal and we don't have a crown to throw at His feet. See, these crowns, we often think, well, the crown of righteousness, that's, that's God's righteousness. No, it's not. You're not going to have a crown just because you're saved. God is giving you grace. That's a gift. That's a gift. That's good enough. You don't earn salvation. This crown and the crowns that we have casting are ways we have shown God appreciation throughout all eternity. So how we are able to enjoy and thank Him in heaven depends on what we do here on this earth. I hope that's becoming crystal clear. Now let's get into actually some of the crowns. The crown of righteousness. This is given to those that discipline themselves in righteousness. I'm going to read some. This is from 2 Timothy 4, 1-8. through I'm going to read verse 6. For now I am ready to be offered and the time of my departure is at hand. Paul was ready to die. He was ready to give his life for Christ. These are, this crown is going to be given to those who discipline themselves in working and focusing on Jesus Christ. These are crown, this crown will say, if I really study the Word, if I really discipline myself to do what God wants me to do, to fight the good fight, verse 7, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Fighting the fight, not giving up. When things start getting bleak, and you know, oh man, you know, I'm getting opposed at every. It's good. Even sometimes in the house of God, it's sad. But oftentimes we're opposed by people, by brothers and sisters in the church, for whatever reason, whatever the motives are. If we're doing God's will, oftentimes we're going to be opposed. Not that we should look for opposition. I mean, that's not the point of it. But finishing the course, not giving up. This crown goes to those who discipline themselves in Christian living. And also, when we go through, there's like three or four more crowns. These are just the crowns that the Bible talks about. Remember, God gives us what He wants in the Scripture. That's not to say that this is the exhaustive list of crowns, but yet this is the exhaustive list of crowns that God has chosen to reveal to us. So there may be some you know, crown of, I don't know what, roses somewhere too, but this is just what it talks about. This is the crown of rejoicing talked about in 1 Thessalonians 2, 7-20. through And I'm going to read, this crown of rejoicing is the soul winner's crown. There is a crown for those of us in here, for the Christian, that is actively loving 
and wanting either their children and then after they're grown and in the grace of God and all the while also their friends and neighbors and those who don't know Jesus Christ, bringing them to the understanding, preaching to them about the Gospel. You know, this is... You know, in our, in our family, thank the Lord, there were the five out of our, uh, six children are, are saved. And, you know, a lot of times my, my mom wasn't able to... I can talk about her. She's not here. She doesn't let me talk about her in sermons, so I'm sure a form is okay. But five out of six, and not like we're looking at percentages and is what we're looking for, but the time that's spent for a mother that dedicates her life to raising them, much of the time is spent focusing on nurturing them, but also at the same time showing them Christian living. I don't have to have kids to realize that. It's in the Bible. And you, you see it throughout where, where some families are blessed and, and they have uh, taught their children well and, and most if not all are, are converted. This is that crown. The crown of rejoicing. And where do we get that from? Verse 19 of First Thessalonians 2 says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of joy, rejoicing? What is this? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? For ye, for those of you who are saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, those who the Apostle Paul has worked diligently to save, you are my crown of rejoicing. Ye are my crown. Ye are my glory and my joy. And what do we need to do? We need to have a passion for the lost. Verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. Verse 8 and eight says, To have a plan. So being affectionately desirous of you, we are willing to have imparted unto you not the Gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were so dear to us. There was a plan. A lot of times this plan can just be, I'm going to make an effort every so often, maybe with our church guys at work to take them out to dinner or do something with them and eventually impart on them the Gospel. Or friends at work going out eat with them, doing some extra activities with them in order to get to know them better. In order to understanding that there is this crown out there. You know, and I know initially and invariably in, some, people, in some, some believers' minds there is, well, should this be our motive? I guess we should just put that caveat in right now. I have, I've talked about this before and I've had resistance to it. The Bible has spoken about this and there's been resistance to it. Is this our motive? You know, to gain these crowns. I can't really, I'm not really talking about motives right now. I'm just saying this is what we're going to be judged according to. Do with it what you may. You know, um, the Apostle Paul found it important enough to say, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which we're going to talk about. So, there is some motive that the Apostle Paul puts down. Now, sometimes it sounds, well, is, my, is your motive only your one to gain the most crowns? You know, I'm not gonna, you, I can't say what my motive is. My motive is, is I'm, I'm privileged to be in the service of the King. I'm privileged to be an ambassador for Christ at wherever I'm at. But this is just the facts. These are the criteria that I want to lay out that the Bible lays out for how we're going to be evaluated. These are just the facts. And if we want to just say, well, we're all going to be the same, that's fine. But when we get there, we're not. I mean, it's just like the person who doesn't believe in Jesus Christ, that there is a Christ. They can believe it all you want. These are the facts. And you know, it's, we're not all going to be the same there. But whether this is going to be our motive, I don't know. 
I don't know what really our motive should be, but other than to love God and to work and to be honored to be working in, the, in His ambassadorship. So there's the soul winner's crown. Crown of glory. Now I did take some leeway here and some license, some forum license. Uh, it says, for this is for leaders and those leaders and leaders' wives. Why do I say leaders' wives? Because uh, leaders' wives have to put up with a lot of guff. I mean, from waiting for somebody to counsel for hours and from taking away time from their families. There's a lot of patience that goes into many of the leaders' wives that have to just, just you know, grin and bear it. Now, that's being a leader in, in a, in a uh, wife capacity. So there, this is also not just for leaders in the church that are the elders, but this is for leaders in whatever capacity you are. This is a leader in helping organize softball. And where you talk about at the end, like at Mansfield, we have a uh, softball game every Tuesday, and we pray afterwards. It's really nice. We have a nice prayer. And those that come, many from the world, we have a little prayer where we, where we thank God for nobody getting hurt if nobody got hurt. We still thank Him even if somebody did get hurt. But we, um, we pray for that, and we pray for soul salvation for those that aren't there, and we thank Him for His beauty. But those that organize, that take the effort to organize this, that's a leadership role. See, we often, we often compartmentalize that you know, He has to be a visible leader that everybody has to see. No, no. There are invisible leadership roles of you know, giving, you know, organizing some sort of charity drive where you're maybe with you and a bunch of people in church, and it's not even church-wide. But you take a leadership role and decide that you're going to take charge of a situation and you may be the leader of one, of yourself. Let's read in this, this crown of glory and rest assured you're going to get a paper if you want. If you don't, you don't have to take it. 1 Peter 5, 1-11 through The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, a witness of the sufferings of Christ, feed the flock which is among you, take thereof, Oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, you look for this crown of glory. It's evading me right now. Not necessarily the crown, I don't know about that, but the verse. But it talks about verse 4 And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Being a good example. Being a constant good example in whatever leadership role you're taking. Being an example. And sometimes it's going to be thankless. And that's the whole beauty of the Bema seat is the thankless jobs. The ones that we, we in our, one of our uh, Bible classes just today, somebody spoke about taking a leadership role and not seeing the fruits thereof right away. At the Bema seat, rest assured, these rewards and these, it's going to come out in the open. And that's where God is going to pay you back. He's going to bring His reward with you, with Him. So where do we get this idea that it's an imperishable crown? This is not necessarily a crown per se, but it's more describing what the crowns are. It's in 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 
24 through 27. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. See, we know that this can't be salvation because we're not running against each other and only the one that runs the fastest or the hardest is going to get to heaven. We know that can't be true. This is, this is a race that we're running against ourselves. So every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate, is moderate in all things. Now they which do it obtain a corruptible crown. Remember that wreath that we have hanging at our house? That probably by the time you ever come over is going to be gone. But they have, an in, they have a corruptible crown. It decays. It starts falling apart. You have to sweep up around it. Now they which do obtain do a, a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air, somebody that's punching the air without rhyme or reason, but I keep my body under subjection and bring it into subjection, lest that any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway or disqualified. These crowns that we talked about, these are eternal crowns. They don't fade away. They're incorruptible. They will never, never decay. Complete and finish the race. Give it everything you have. Give it. You know, you know those people that are that are just the racers, that the runners at the Olympics that are just determined to win. I mean, they bring they they don't eat certain foods and they look fit and they 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 have that desire and they talk about it. They talk about their goal of of winning with such zeal. That is how the Christian is compared to. We have and need to have that same zeal that the runner has. And verse 27, play according to the rules. By dogging somebody else and putting somebody else down in order to make ourselves look good, here on this earth, that's fine. You'll look good here on this earth. I'll look good here on this. Everybody will applaud us. But at the Bema seat, it's going to be, hey, Erwin, you really didn't play the game right. You, you, you need to make right. You didn't. You pushed that guy out of bounds. And it's going to be made right. The last crown that we're going to talk about is the crown of life. You know, there are a lot of people. You know, we heard one testimony of, of uh, Sister Lynn from uh, Richmond that is lo losing her eyesight. And we know of people that have lost loved ones, uh, young uh, family members or uh, spouses and at a young age. Or, you know, those are temptations and trials that we grow through. And it's not the same for everybody. I really haven't gone through a lot of trials and temptations and, and tribulations. But those of you who have, who have endured a lot and, and have come out singing God's praises, even after things are horrible, there's a crown. There's a crown waiting for you, and it's that crown of life. It talks about it also in Revelations. Let's take a look at this crown. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, James 1, 12-17. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. We need to have a passion for Christ. If we have a passion for Christ, any trial or tribulation that we do endure, it's going to pale in comparison to that. And I know it sounds easy, and, and I haven't gone through this, this sort of trial or tribulation, and maybe I won't have to. But this crown is for those who are able to persevere, who see the problem and see there is an ultimate purpose throughout it all. 
I can think of uh, 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 recently uh, an older gentleman, a brother in our church, passed away. And his uh, daughter and, bro- and son-in-law shortly thereafter gave their lives to Jesus Christ. You know, it's hard to see for maybe the wife of the, rem- the, the widow that there was a purpose in that. But there are purposes that Christ uses. God, everything is run according to a purpose. And those who faithfully persevere will receive this crown. This is a rarity for Mansfielders. I'm actually ending on time. I actually started late. So when I have long sermons in Mansfield, I don't want any complaining. I've got to make up for the forum that was late here. That counts for you too, George. I know you're German clock, but... Overview of the Bema seat. Salvation is a gift. It's by God's grace. Rewards are earned by God's children. This is what the Bible says. We run in a race, and God equips us through the Holy Spirit to run this race. He gives us the tools. Do we, do we stick our hand in the toolbox and uh, use the tools? God will pay back His children. He will owe us nothing. Believe me, in heaven, God will not owe us a thing. God is a righteous God. He's a just God. He's the best accountant you'll ever find. He will, he, he, he's not going to overlook the smallest thing that you've done for Him. He knows it. He's written it down. And we've read about that in the book of works. Then we got the rewards are eternal. They show our thankfulness. We will be able to enjoy heaven more. Not that we will not enjoy heaven, but we will have the capacity to enjoy heaven more. We've got the crown of life given to those believers who have successfully gone through trials and temptations and overcome them. There's a lot of those in our in our body of believers and in Christendom in general. The soul winner's crown, those who have had a passion and and have backed that passion up with action for the lost. The crown of glory, leaders who have modeled a lifestyle of sacrifice and sacrifice to further God's kingdom. And the crown of righteousness, those who are disciplined and love doing what's right in in God's eyes. The last thing I want to talk about is just read... Read the what's going to be happening in the great white throne judgment. Remember, we don't want to be there. And I saw a great white throne on him that sat on it, whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place found for them. And I saw the dead, the small and the great. This is the second resurrection. This is why. Um, we understand that this is, there's not going to be any saved here. The kind of the opening the book of works is just going to be to condemn them. You know, some people say, well, that's when God's going to look at my works. Yeah, He's going to look at your works. He's going to look at the book of life. Their names aren't going to be there. and It's a done deal. It's just going to be condemnation. And I saw the dead, the small and the great stand before God, and the books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to to their works. And the sea gave up their dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in it. And every and they were judged, every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. 
You know, there's going to be probably a lot of unconverted people who will want to say, can I look at that book? Can I look at that book of life? I need to check. Maybe you misspelled my name, God. I spell it with a C-H instead of a S. But at that book, maybe God's going to let them look through it all they want. But if your name's not in that book of life, everything that I talked about today, everything that the Bible talks about is not for you. All it's going to be is condemnation upon condemnation. See, without God's grace, you are not enabled by the Holy Spirit to do these works for Him. You may do good deeds. You may be a good person. You may be an upstanding citizen. But without the grace of God, we do not have the capacity. But those of us as Christians, let's enjoy the symphony that God gives us to the greatest of our capacity. And let's be able to show God thanks when we get to heaven. I have uh, packets here and we're right up against time. So, Brother Joe, if you could come up and lead us in a standing prayer. Father, we do ask for your forgiveness for all those missed opportunities we've had in our lives. And pray that as the Bereans, we can search the Scriptures to prove to ourselves the truths that we have heard in this day, or to convince ourselves that indeed um, we have more than those encouragers and motivators that we've gone with in our lives so far, but Lord, that indeed thy scripture and thy word is true and perfect, and, and it does give us the encouragement that we need to go on and to do that which is good in your sight. Father, help us to press toward the mark. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.